and welcome to the Daily Reprieve, where we provide essays, speaker meetings, workshops, and conferences in podcast format. We are an ad-free podcast. If you enjoy listening, please help us be self-supporting by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and drop a dollar or two into the virtual basket. Please consider donating monthly by clicking the Donate Monthly button. However, one-time donations are always welcome. Just click the Donate Now button. Now, without further ado, this episode of The Daily Reprieve. Good morning, afternoon, evening, depending on where you are. My name is Susie. I'm a sexaholic. I uh, have been sexually sober by the essay definition since April 20th, 2014. I want to start with some greetings from my home group, the Lewis Clark Valley uh, meeting in Lewiston, Idaho. We meet three times a week. Today, first of all, I'm feeling really nervous, and when I get nervous, I notice my throat tightens up. So if I disappear for a moment, I will quickly mute to cough for a minute uh, and be back. Um, So I just want to right now surrender to my higher power, who I call God, and ask that he speak through me and get my ego out of the way. Thank you. What I plan to do, hope to do today, is share with you a little bit about what it was like for me, um, including some of the unhealthy beliefs that I held, which I also call some of them slogans, uh, unhealthy slogans of addiction, Uh, what happened, and how the healthy slogans of recovery helped me through that, and what it was like now, and some general comments about um, ways that I support myself in recovery today. So I will, um, oh, I have a title for my talk. It is called Slogans for Living Too Carefully. What it was like, first of all, I did not, grow up in um, any abuse. I grew up in a very normal, lower middle class family in a small town in central Texas. I was uh, taken to church uh, from the time I can remember, from before I can remember. Uh, I was taught that God is a loving, all-knowing entity who is on my side. To my knowledge, there was no sexual abuse or physical abuse of any kind in my history. So, yes, I wonder how the heck did I get here? I don't know how I became a sex lust addict. And the truth is, it isn't important. What's important is what I do with that knowledge today. What it was like, I... um, uh, the nature of my addiction includes <clears throat> flirting, um, having my heart broken in my first marriage when at three years he confessed he was gay and having lots of recreational sex with men. Uh, so I know that had an impact on my uh, my history, and I do not blame him. Uh, one of the things he told me was that I needed a real man, <clears throat> so I started that search uh, during that the next three years when we were disengaging from each other. Um, I was very promiscuous. I became promiscuous after that first marriage. I wasn't doing it. 
I used fantasy, euphoric recall. I led a double life while setting and reaching personal goals in my education and my work and acting out sexually, having multiple affairs. I manipulated people in situations to get what I wanted. Um, I had affairs with married men. I rationalized dating the men who were um, who my girlfriends were interested in uh, with one very close call of almost having sex with the husband of my very best friend. Um, and um, I, dated, I did what I called overlapping relationships, which means I started having sex with another person before I really ended the first relationship. Um, and the, um, uh, some of those unhealthy slogans of addiction during that period was, um, all is fair in love and war. Uh, and oh, what a tangled web we weave when at first we practice to deceive. My mother denies ever teaching me any of these negative slogans, uh, or she denied that when I uh, had a heart-to-heart with her years ago before she passed. Uh, but I don't know. Some of them I know I absorbed from the culture. Some of these are cultural beliefs, like you're not a whole woman unless you're in a relationship. Um, so that overlapping and dating stuff, acting out really, um, was during the time I was divorced. And it resulted in me contracting a uh, sexually transmitted disease, genital herpes, and not knowing which of three men I got it from or gave it to. It resulted in a pregnancy and my inability to be sure uh, from the timing, which of two different men was the father. I did have an abortion at that time, and that certainly I can look back at that time and see that was one of the bottoms I hit in my disease. It should have been a really good hint that my life was unmanageable, but I didn't know anything about um, sex addiction at that time. So I pulled uh, what they call an AA, a geographic uh, I moved 2,000 miles away from Texas to Idaho, always cruising and always shopping for my next relationship, hoping to find the perfect man. Um, and I, in Idaho, I actually did meet a really wonderful man. I felt I could love him, and I knew that he, I felt his love for me. Uh, about a year and a half later, we got married, and I thought that my wedding vows would set my boundaries and prevent me from acting out sexually. Um, what happened instead was uh, I discovered that it doesn't work that way. Um, <clears throat> in this marriage, I, I was generally demanding and unsatisfied. I was focused on the negative, always finding fault and being ungrateful for what, what things I had. I wanted more. I wanted different um, and after about a year, I was acting out again uh, with other men. Mostly these were long-distance uh, relationships and it involved a lot of intrigue and fantasy and planning for a rendezvous. Um, and what my friends told me, this is in my list of unhealthy slogans of addiction, it's okay to look outside your marriage if uh, you're not being satisfied at home. 
and that someday your knight in shining armor will arrive and sweep you off your feet, and then it will be easy to leave this marriage. Um, some of the things I believed were that um, just because I'm on a diet doesn't mean I can't look at the menu, um, and what he doesn't know won't hurt him. I also called, uh, in addition to calling those unhealthy slogans of addiction, these are the lies that I believed and the lies I told myself. Um, so I became addicted to the intrigue, the tease, the forbidden. I lusted after the physical passion and the adrenaline high of the affairs. I went for the chemistry, and I had lots and lots of secrets. I thought I was always right. I would argue to prove my point, uh, even with my elderly father-in-law, who would say anything just unimportant about something in the community, and I thought it was really important for me to show him that he was wrong. Uh, I, I had to do a, a amends in the cemetery for that kind of attitude that I had toward him years later. Anyway, so one of the important questions that um, finally I get to some healthy slogans of recovery is how important is it really? You know, how important is it for me to be right? Would I rather be right or happy? Um, what happened? Well, I was, during this marriage, I was really miserable. I was not living up to my own values. I was being a bad wife. I was living full of fear and resentment and living that double life. Um, I love this slogan. It fits me so perfectly. This is under healthy slogans that helped me in recovery. I am violating my standards faster than I can lower them. And that's what I was doing. And finally, I am as sick as my secret. When I heard that, it really struck a chord. Um, how did I get there? Well, my friend gave me a book called Codependence, Misunderstood, Mistreated by Ann Wilson Schaefer. It resonated with me, so I went to an intensive weekend with her in a group where I first heard the term sex addiction. I heard people share about their lives and how they acted out sexually and what they were doing about it. It took me two more years um, when I joined that that group of people that had been there at that, some of which whom had been at that intensive, I joined with them in a group with Ann Wilson Schaefer and shortly afterward went to my first 12-step meeting that addressed sex addiction. That was in 1991. So I've been at this a really long time. I, I wish I could say I've been sober ever since, but of course that's not my path. Um, so, oh, and then in 92, I, I also joined AA and um, got to see the relationship between how drinking made it so much easier for me to act out sexually. Um, I have continued to be an AA, and fortunately, my sobriety date in AA continues to be in 1992. So along the way, um, what happened along the way was I was um, sober in another S fellowship for a number of years, 
and it, that fellowship helped me. It helped me get started, and I did work the steps in that other one of the other S fellowships. And then I uh, and I had started that when I was temporarily living out of town on a sabbatical. And then I came back to my little small town in north central Idaho, and God sent me one other person to help me start a, a meeting of that S program. And that lasted for a few years, and then that person moved away. Nobody else came and stayed, and I finally gave up on the meeting and thought, it's okay, I've got AA. I can work my program through AA. Well, that worked for a little while until I had an opportunity where I went out of town, uh, became hungry, angry, lonely, tired, Um, Actually, I was furious at my husband because he had chosen not to come with me on this trip, which was a working trip to help move my mother out of an apartment into another town to assisted living. And it was a huge job. I was way over my head. I could not possibly have accomplished what needed to be done in the time period there and so I was just really in a mess and I turned to a person I had been with in the past and uh, once again acted out sexually with with that man. Um, So when I came home from that trip, I had someone who knew someone who knew someone as someone had started an essay meeting in my little North Idaho town here. And he'd been limping along, showing up, uh, sitting with basically alone in that meeting for months and finally had a couple of other guys come. And about a year after he started it, I showed up and he was there with two other men. And I was so grateful to find that meeting. By that time, I'd had lots of experience going to 12-step meetings, so I and it, there were just three guys, so I was I had the gift of desperation. I was not, I, of course, I was nervous going in to meet them. I'd spoken to one of them on the phone first, and um, he gave me the meeting time, location, and everything. And he knew immediately I was one of them, so I knew that I could find some help there, and I did. I was so grateful that that meeting was here and that I could have some support. Um, so um, my journey, I tell you the slogans that really helped me, well, you've already heard about my step one, I am as sick as, sick as my secrets. Uh, in step two, I came to believe that a power greater than Susie could restore me to sanity. Well, I had a lot of trouble with the word sanity to start with because that implied that I was insane, and I knew too much about insanity. I didn't like that at all. My work situation included being a nurse inside a locked psychiatric unit for a number of years, and I knew that I was not insane. And one re- reason we all, all knew who was and who wasn't a patient there is because those of us on the staff had the key to the door. So I had the key. So that always supported me in knowing that I was not insane. Um, 
I had to be able to admit to my innermost self that I really am a lust and sex addict and uh, believing or having faith here in step two is where I really started to trust God. My healthy slogans uh, regarding sanity versus insanity, we've probably all heard the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over, expecting different results. I did a lot of that, and then I progressed, my disease progressed, and even more painfully, I had to recognize that I kept doing the same thing over and over, knowing what the results would be and doing it anyway. Another healthy slogan in this period of time was, if nothing changes, nothing changes. That was also kind of an eye-opener for me to recognize that I can't keep doing this or nothing's going to change. I'm going to keep feeling miserable. Um, One of my recovery mentors finally sat me down and said, Susie, do you want to get well or do you want to keep mucking around in this disease? Um, In step three, making that decision to turn my life and will over to the care of God as I understood God. As I mentioned before, I grew up with the idea of a loving God. I didn't have any trouble recognizing or defining who I think God is for me. Um, And yet, I had to make that conscious decision to give up my control to the unknown will of God. And not knowing what I'm getting into, I'm really afraid of the unknown. So that kind of was a bit of a challenge. I'd been running the show. I thought I'd been running it pretty good, except for that I was miserable, full of fear, and uh, not living up to the standards that I grew up with and that I believed in, and I couldn't stop. Um, So I had to start in this step three. I had to start letting go. I had to let go and let God and let go of my thinking that I'm in control and to recognize God as my director, not my suggester, but the director of my life. I had to look at, uh, am I getting this keystone in place? Um, and, and that only comes into place if I'm willing to surrender and work the steps. And then the third step prayer, of course, is a wonderful prayer. I say it often. I really appreciate it. It asks God to help me let go of what I want to do and really ask God to take away my bondage, my self-bondage. And that is my character defects as I see it. My bondage of self is my selfishness and self-centeredness. And it prevents me from doing God's will. Um, so God gave me free will. He's not going to zap me sober without me asking for help. So it's, it's not magic. God isn't going to just go presto, touch me with a magic wand, and take away my defects or give me this surrender that I seek. And God speaks and works through other people, other humans. Um, And that reminds me that I have to stop making unilateral 
decisions. I didn't mention step zero. I'll back up, I'll rewind. Step zero taught me I cannot do this alone. I have to have contact with other people on this path. I need to be um, working with a sponsor. I need to be going to meetings so I hear what you say and what you teach me. And sometimes it comes from an unlikely source, uh, words of wisdom that, that it seems like God's just directing right at me. Um, the slogans here, one day at a time, without God, I can't. Without me, God won't. In step four, um, I, I thought it was kind of fun at first because I got to write about what other people, all the stuff other people did that really made me angry or I was resentful about. Then, of course, uh, by the time I got to the fourth column, it wasn't so much fun. Then I had to look at where was I selfish, dishonest, self-seeking, or frightened. Um, this is where I learned how to get on my side of the street because I never thought anything was my fault. I always, even today, my first knee-jerk reaction is to blame somebody else. And, of course, that's usually my husband. Uh, oh, by the way, I am still married to the same person I was married to uh, a year and a half after I moved to Idaho. And this summer we celebrated 35 years of marriage. Um, this program gets the credit for that. I would not have still been in this marriage if I hadn't found recovery. In step four, I learned about the mirror. Whenever I feel angry or annoyed by somebody else, I need to look at myself and ask, how do I do that? How do I act like that with other people? The slogans that helped me in this step were, if I spot it, I got it. That's that mirror thing. And don't quit five minutes before the miracle happens because it got hard. Step four got hard for me as I had to start looking at my part. Other slogans, easy does it, but do it and progress, not perfection. And then, um, yeah, I, I made it through those inventories of resentment, fear, sex, and relationships. Um, in step five, what a relief it was. Uh, my sponsor took notes and helped me identify patterns of behaviors. And it's in during that process that the nature of my wrong really reveals my defects of character. Step five says I admit to God, myself, another human being, the exact nature of my wrongs. And um, those that the nature of my wrongs, those are the things that... Um, my sponsor helped me identify through that process. Oh, step six, uh, having, getting ready, entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Well, before I know what I'm getting ready to have God remove, I need to really identify what those things are. My sponsor helped me with that. And I love the process in our Step Into Action book where it takes you through the columns there, and I get to look at each defect and describe what that is like, what my life is like with that defect, what my life could be like without that defect, and then state an affirmation or a prayer to help me achieve that goal. I like that process. 
my list of defects, and I'm sure I'll leave out something, but it included defensiveness, false pride, selfishness, self-centeredness, arrogance, codependence, workaholism, dependency, dishonesty, procrastination, judgmentalism, being critical and controlling. Um, step seven, humbly asking to remove my shortcomings. As I said before, God's not like a magician. He's not going to just zap them away. As they crop up, and they will, I surrender and invite God into that moment and ask him to show me a different way. And and this is one reason why I really liked doing that uh, step into action table because, you know, I've already I've already looked at and and God's shown me some ways that life could be if I didn't have that defect. Um, in step eight, I made a list of everybody I'd harmed and became willing to make amends. It's I think it's important to define what does harm mean, and I, I like our again step into action says we cause physical, mental, emotional, or spiritual damage, maybe arousing anger, etc. Um, I made <clears throat> made my amends list, <clears throat> pardon me, in three columns, now, later, and never. And <clears throat> hopefully, uh, and as I went along, I got to move things up from later to now. And a couple of things from never I got to do. Uh, I didn't have a huge, long never list. Uh, however, I will say that a number, I made a number of amends at gravesides. Also, I think it's important here that a number of amends I had to make with the men that I had had affairs with, I knew I had, had done harm to, oh, and I, I have, was instructed to look at collateral damage. You know, it's not just the man I had an affair with. It was his wife, his relationship uh, with, uh, or, you know, whoever he was in another relationship with. Those had to be in direct amends because obviously that could do harm. Uh, in step nine, I do not have um, the right to dump my load of guilt um, in an amends in order to make me feel better and and I do not have a right to do an amends that will harm someone else. I also don't have the right to do an amends if it's not convenient for the other person. I can't barge in and force somebody to listen to an amends. That's not the right attitude. Um, and okay. certainly never without clearing up my sponsor. I uh, used a script. There's an example in Step Into Action, page 128. I need to wait for God, and I usually did. And when it was time for me to make an amends, God put that person in front of me. Uh, my One of the things my sponsor told me about a number of the amends I, I had amends, I needed to make amends with was make a living amends and in many of the cases of the men, she said, never darken their door again, no contact. And I was able to do that. Uh, in all but a few cases, which always resulted in negative consequences when I got back in touch. So um, I need to get 
going here to wrap things up, so I'm going to kind of skip over some um, some things. In, in step 10, it's so important to continue to take this personal inventory. I find it gets easier with practice. I catch myself faster when I am causing harm um, and very often make immediate amends. I need a regular inventory. I have to consider uh, and just give myself moments sometimes just to ask God to show me the truth and show me how I've harmed someone and what I can do to make it make it right. Uh, if I don't do that, um, things kind of build up and I start feeling um, grouchy and something's wrong. That's when I really need to look at what did I miss in my inventory uh, and if I start judging and blaming and feeling angry and critical of others. Um, step 11, prayer and meditation. It, before I get out of bed in the morning, I start my prayers. Uh, sometimes I wake up in the middle of the night and do and I pray. Sometimes I do prayer and meditation sitting in a chair, and sometimes I do out walking outside. Um, the proper use of my will is to seek God's will for me. So step 12, service, um, oh, spiritual awakening, and then carrying the message. It's important that I get a spiritual awakening, and I believe I have. I love the uh, a, a big book appendix, Spiritual Experience. The words that I really love in there are that I've had a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. And it says that often, and this was true for me, my friends noticed a difference in me even before I could see it. And I love these words. I've had a profound alteration in my reaction to life. That is very true for me. I, uh, I had to learn, first of all, I had to learn when I was flirting. I didn't even know I was flirting. It was just the way I interacted with men. I had fear around, well, if I don't know how to talk to men if I'm not flirting. And the programs, recovery has helped me with that. I had to learn how to spot that and how to let it go. So in conclusion, I want to share some thoughts for continued sobriety. And for me, I have some things I use that help me. If I have a decision to make, I have three questions. Is what I'm thinking about going, is what I'm thinking about doing something I will want to keep secret? Question two, is what I'm thinking about doing going to support my recovery? And question three, am I willing to go to any lengths for my recovery? Temptation will hit. You know, thoughts just come in to my mind occasionally, inappropriate thoughts, that is. And here's a slogan I really uh, like. I am responsible for my second thought and my first action. I can't control some of the thoughts that come in. I'm powerless. And I can control my first action, which for me should be and usually is to pray and ask God to come into this moment and take away this lust or whatever it is that's tripping through my mind, um, looking at the menu, whatever. 
I need to remember halt. Don't get too hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. If I'm struggling, I'm in my disease. Uh, The big book says we have ceased fighting anything or anyone. And I need to remember principles above personality that helps me keep showing up. We're a group of people who normally wouldn't mix, so of course there's going to occasionally be some personalities that I'm not as comfortable with as others. And acceptance is a key to my relationship with God. For me, acceptance goes hand in hand with surrender. I can't just accept. I have to also surrender. Um, And my serenity is directly proportional to my level of acceptance. And that is from uh, a, a big book, page 120. I thank you for being with me today and hearing my story And I will close there. Thank you. Susie, that was awesome. Thank you so very much for your service today. Uh, I know I'm going to have a question if nobody else does, but I suspect we will. We have 94 people on the line. Uh, So just a quick reminder that we avoid topics that can lead to dissension or distraction. Please avoid explicit sexual descriptions and sexually abusive language. The emphasis is on honesty, recovery, and healing how to apply the 12 steps and traditions in our daily lives. No crosstalk, please, which means interrupting, giving advice, or criticizing another person's share. If someone feels another is getting too explicit, you may so signify by saying my hand is raised, and at which point I will consult a group conscience. So who would like to press star six to unmute and be the first person to ask Susie a question? Um, and very quickly, Susie, can you repeat the three questions? Am I am I willing to go to any length for my recovery? Am I going to yes. uh, doing do something? You know, those three questions, real quick. Sure. Uh, is what I'm thinking about doing something I'm going to want to keep secret? Mm-hmm. And is what what I'm thinking about doing something? Uh, will this re- will this support my recovery? Mm-hmm. And then, am I willing to go to any lengths for my recovery? All right. Thank you so very much for that. So I got my question out of the way. Anyone else, please press star six to mute. If you are new to this fellowship or new to this call, you're very, very welcome. This is Mike in Chicago. Mike, take it away. Quick question, please. Yeah. um, I'm relatively new new to the program and stuff, and it's just a matter of of daily surrender and daily this is what it sounds like. Is that is that your understanding after all these years? Yeah. Would you say that again? A matter of daily surrender and what did you say? Daily discipline. I mean, and talking to your sponsor and discipline. getting on the phone meetings and going to face to face, et cetera, et cetera. Is that you, you, would you agree? I I think those are absolutely important things, and it is really important to. Um, follow the instructions of my sponsor and to develop a relationship with a power greater than me and recognize I am not in charge. You know, I I am not my higher power and I pretended to be for years running the show myself, running my life myself, and I didn't do a very good job. Uh, I mean, it looked like it from external uh from an outside look, but on the inside, I was quite miserable and failing. 
and powerless over over what I was doing, uh, acting out sexually. So, um, what the list you said? Yes, I agree with those things. And no. developing a relationship with a higher power and surrendering. And I didn't hear the first. Right. Can you go over slowly those, those three uh, questions you had? Sorry, Is Okay, that's the last question uh, since we have. Chill, 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 chill. Beautiful dog. Looks like an old guy, huh? Is he old guy? Uh, All right, uh, who would like to be number one? Question? Oh, go ahead. Gerard, go ahead. Okay, so ill getting well or good getting uh, or bad getting good. Once we invoke prayer, isn't it difficult to dissociate that from religion and the automatic implication that it's bad getting good? Isn't there a difficulty of dissociation from the idea of bad and good with prayer? I'm not even sure I understand the question. I, I think probably if I understand it, my response is that it totally depends on your uh, definitions of of religion and versus spirituality and um, and your your history of uh, or your current belief system about you know what's good and bad you're, it sounds like a lot of real black and white thinking which um, I don't you know, I, I get in trouble when I go to black and white thinking and thinking in terms of good and bad. I think life is full of experiences, and if we're willing to learn from them, uh, we can grow. And I don't, you know, I, certainly there's some things, some behaviors that I do that have been not good, and I I just surrender those and ask God to teach me what I'm supposed to learn. and show me the truth, which is, I don't want to do that again, and whatever other truth God has to teach me. I'm not sure that addressed your question. That's good. Thank you. All right. Hi, this is Dennis. Can I share next or ask her a question? Yes, Dennis. Go ahead. Oh, thank you. Thank you for your service, Rena. Uh, Susie, first, I want to thank you for, man, your friendship in this program and walking this journey with you has just been a blessing in my recovery. And, uh, you've been a, a real sister and I, and I appreciate that. And I like how today God just poured the principles out through you of this program. Cause boy, that is recovery. What I heard, I had not used the, the step into action and you, I think you said something about uh, step seven has a table and I'm going to go look that up. If that's correct, can you share a little bit about the benefits and what that looked like for you? Thanks. Thank you, Dennis. And I, so appreciate you in this program as well. Um, it's uh, step six has a, a table that asks me to look at uh, my character defects, to list them, and then describe what's my life like with that character defect, um, and and then to imagine what my life could be like without that defect, uh, and then set a, a a uh, affirmation to help me get there, you know, to help me affirm or decide to let go of that defect, really. 
Um, so, oh, I don't have that list in front of me, and I'll see if I can think of a uh, an example to to work through there. I um, I definitely go into judgmentalism easily. That's one of my character defects. I I judge um, all kinds of things, people, whatever, uh, and I do it with prejudice sometimes. And so uh, life with that is uh, when I'm being judgmental of others, I am blocking my relationship with them. I can't have a, a good, healthy uh, relationship with them. And by the way, that blocks my relationship with God. Um, when I'm judging others, I get into my arrogance, thinking that I know better, I can do a better job. I, you know, all that arrogant thinking um, comes in under, uh, you know, what life is like with when I'm judging other people. Um, and then, uh, I'm sure I could go on and on, but then I get to imagine what would life like be like without me being judgmental of others. And that column would say, wow, I could be accepting. I could be open to their ideas and suggestions. I could listen better. I could learn from them better. Uh, I could actually have a relationship with that person, which opens the door to my relationship with God. And then my affirmation might be, I, uh, let's see, I will see the positive in people. I will, I will let go of my desire to find fault or be judgmental. All right. Something like that. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. For the question. Uh, this is Raina New Jersey, Thank your host. You. If anyone wishes to ask a question and not be on the recording, please let me know ahead of time, and I can uh, temporarily turn off the recording while you ask the question. Uh, Susie, it's, it's coming up on time to officially close the meeting, but once we uh, go into the parking lot, how much longer can you stay to take more questions? Um, 15 minutes would work for me. 15 minutes? Okay. Sounds good. All right, yeah. who else would be next with a quick question, please? First Hi, Laura, I would love to ask a question. Yes, your name, please. Um, my name is Laura. Laura from what state? Uh, Florida. Okay, great. Thank you, Laura. Go ahead. Hi, Laura. Hi, Susie. That was wonderful. Thank you so much for your story and for the opportunity to get to know you. Um, real quick, the, slog the slogans reflect the spiritual attitude, which have such an influence on me. And the white book says, you know, I need a change in attitude. And the slogans that you of recovery, you beautifully reflected in your change of attitude in your story. So thank you for that beautiful illustration of um, the reflection of the slogans in your life. And my question is, when did you start to identify the negative slogans that had an impact on your life before recovery? Thank you. Thanks, Laura. Um, I'm, I'm not sure I can exactly remember when, but I'm pretty sure it was in the first step process and then even more so in the fourth step. Wow. 
certainly as I, I think as I started to really recognize uh, my addictive process that I had good sponsors and good support people from that that living in process analyst and shapes group that got me in recovery in the first place all of them really helped me to um, identify those those underlying beliefs that I just took for granted as truth the lies I believe Thank you so much. That's so helpful. And um, I'd like to apply that when I do step one again. So thank you. Thank you. All right. Thank you, everyone. We are going to officially pause the recording so we can officially close the meeting and we will come right back at the top of the hour. All right. We are back to the shares. We have Susie for 15 more minutes. So this is your chance, everyone. This is Rena in New Jersey, your host, who would like to press star six to be next and ask Susie a question. And again, if you do not want to be on the recording, please ask, and I will pause the recording so you can ask your question. This is Jamie this is Lee from Wyoming. I'd like to ask Susie a question. Okay, I heard Lee and then Jamie in Illinois. So may I go now, Rena? Yes, Lee. Go ahead first. Okay, thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Susie. I took notes, uh, and I just had a quick question. Uh, you mentioned you were in um, AA, Al-Anon, SAA, and I assume SA. I mean, SA, obviously. But um, since you were in all these different programs, um, can you, do you have any idea what percentage of your re- recovery you would actually attribute to SA along with all the other programs? Thank you. Did you say what percentage of my recovery is due to SA? Was that the word you used? Yeah, I'm just curious um, how much you think SA is involved in your recovery. (laughs) That's a really hard question. Um, I learned so much from AA in studying the big book and knowing that all I had to do is switch the word alcohol to lust or, you know, Luster's sex addiction, and everything in there fits me perfectly. So, um, yeah, I've been, I have worked a number. I didn't even remember mentioning all those programs. The programs I've worked the steps in include um, AA, SA, SLAA, um, currently working steps in Al-Anon. I've done, uh, and Overeaters Anonymous, uh, and... Workaholics Anonymous. So I, my recovery is, it's all of those. And I, I you know, SA gave me the, the best structure for my sex addiction. Um, I cannot really define my, define my own sobriety uh, and get true recovery from my sex and lust addiction. I, I, I mean, I didn't. I, I, that program, that other test program was helpful. It got me going. It was very helpful at the time. And I needed more, you know, as I got farther progressed in my disease, I needed the structure of the SA sobriety definition. So I don't think I can give you a percentage. It's, it's uh, too, um, too hard a question. Sorry.
Yeah, this is Jamie in Illinois. Um, I think I was next. That <laughs> uh, call is powerless over luck. Thank you. Um, yeah, I really am grateful for listening to your story and your um, like defining what the bad slogans were and the good slogans were. Um, definitely take part in some of the better slogans, feeling good. Um, my question is kind of more like, I don't know if you had mentioned or not, but if your um, husband had ever caught you, um, and if so, what that, that looks like as far as, um, like working, not trying to take that inventory, I know I'm not supposed to be taking that inventory, but like knowing that you're, you're doing everything in the program that you can do and your partner's in their program doing what they're supposed to do, but you're still kind of not necessarily coming together. There's still some, you know, distance and how you, how you would handle that in, in that part of it. Or maybe that question's mute because it never happens. <laughs> um, actually, I... I think I was very fortunate in that I um, was that I was not caught by my husband. I believe he had suspicions, but um, I mentioned I went on a sabbatical and left town and got into S recovery. Um, and and after I had worked with my sponsor for a while in that program, then I did a reveal to him to say. I've been having affairs, and here's what I'm doing about it. I'm in recovery. I've got this support system, and, you know, and here's how it looks. At that point, we were living in different towns uh, temporarily, and he he sought out counseling for himself. He went to a, a counselor uh, for a period of time, and that helped him uh, look at what he needed to do, and um, he was willing to continue to have me in his life as I worked on my recovery. So he's been tremendously supportive. He stays out of my business. He has never uh, asked me for any details. My sponsor has said, you, you've revealed enough. You, I don't need to reveal any further details. It would do more harm. And and he hasn't asked for any, so I'm very fortunate. Basically, I have a husband who's who's healthy, mentally, emotionally, spiritually healthy, and um, not an addict himself. So uh, he does not participate in Essanon. I have wished that he would because he could be tremendous help to other men, but he doesn't. He doesn't want to. He's not a joiner kind of a person. So. That's what I can share about that. All right. Thank, Thank you, for you Jamie. Jamie. And this is who Thomas. is next? Yeah, this Thomas. is Thomas here. May I ask you a question? Uh, Thomas and then Sona. Right. And then Doug from Oregon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Thomas and then Sona and then uh, Doug. Okay, my name is um, Thomas, and uh, I forget their first name, but I was listening to your share, and um, yeah, you spoke about um, different fellowships and that are in different programs, and 
did you get sober from sex addiction and food addiction at the same time? I was, re- I was, it was suggested that I start with what was killing me the fastest, and that was my sex addiction. I was most miserable from that. It was a while later that I started a food program, and then I, I just kind of dropped that after, after a while and focused on some of the other programs. Uh, and I'm currently back in, uh, OA and, um, I think it's important to address that ingestive addiction um, for me along with others. But there were periods of time when I was working both programs at the same time, but I didn't necessarily um, continue with them uh, from the beginning. But I am currently in both programs now. There's a big connection, I think, between food and lust addiction, and I think our white book talks about that some, um, and yeah. yeah. Do you have some experience you want to share about that? Yeah, I, I um, yeah, what's, what's the first name again? I, I, don't, I hear talking with those first name. Susie. Susie, sorry. Yeah, Susie, I, I struggle with sex addiction, and I also struggle with food addiction. And at the minute, I'm trying to work the both programs together. Like, if it, if it can be done, I haven't heard anyone who've experienced these two at the same time, you know? Um, um, Nicholas, tell you. Thomas, um Nicholas, in, Nicholas in England uh, usually does his step work mm-hmm. for both. So you can get in touch with him at Nicholas, N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S. And then e s s a y at gmail dot com. He was a past speaker uh, for me in this group, so you can get in touch with him for more information. Okay, Ready? that's Rena. Rena, is that? Yes, this is Rena. Yes. Rena. Thanks, Rena. Okay, can I get can I get the number again, Rena? I'm in the notes of this here. Can I make contact with you? That's all right. Um, Again. You can you can you can send us an email if you need Nicholas's um, email information, but I can give that to you again. It's Nicholas okay. with a C H S A E S S A Y at gmail dot com. He's in England. Okay. All right. Okay, so right. we have two more people okay. before Susie has to go, so let's make it quick, please. Sona and then Doug in Oregon. Come on in, Sona. Thank you. Uh, Sona from Iran. Uh, I wanted to, uh, thanks for your service, Susie, first. Uh, I wanted to ask you, what is your personal definition of loss? Uh, how you can define it? Uh, because recently I have come to the definition. I want to hear others' definition of what lo- loss is. Thank you. Thank you for the question. Um, um, for me, lust is wanting something God has not provided for me today. Um, so sexual lust is wanting something uh, sexual that God has not put in my life for today. 
that's the short definition. And of course, the S.A. White book has lots of discussion about what lust is. But that's, yeah, great, that's the one I like. And a great definition. Thank you. All right. Yeah. Doug and Morgan. Come on this in. Is All right. Thank you. Um, thank you for your leadership. Yeah, thank you for your leadership, Rena. Um, Susie, thank you for your story. Um, Doug and Oregon. Um, yeah, I know this is a long, long process um, of change. And um, but can can you? Is there a an event and a week, a HP, a higher power experience, um, an, an awareness? Um, is was there a, an epiphany, so to speak, or a spiritual experience? That that you know set you over the hill and not having to to you know paddle quite so hard and and maybe um you know uh, uh, establishing some freedom and if you will can you can you can you comment on that please? I wish I had a mountaintop experience to share with you uh, spiritual experience, but my spiritual experience and growth has been of the educational variety over a long period of time. Um, I, I, the thing that did come to my mind with your question, though, is uh, when I last changed my sobriety date. Um, and, you know, that, that time I mentioned in my talk when I got um, hungry, angry, lonely, and tired and acted out, that was in 2002. And in um, 2014 is my current date because I did not have progressive victory over lust. Now, I didn't come to that decision on my own. It was the people who hold my feet to the fire in this program, and that's one reason I need other people because I can lie to myself so easily. And what I could, was shown then was that I, um, I was... Uh, tracking uh, this, the last man that I had acted out with, I was tracking him. I knew where he was in the room. We were in a large event together, and I knew exactly where he was all the time, and I manipulated the situation so that I could get physically close to him and say hello and have a hug. And I did that, and I got that hug, and I was challenged later by my group asking me, were you sober in that moment of that hug? Because in my mind, I didn't have sex with him, so I shouldn't have to change my sobriety date. And, of course, that's, you know, that's a lie. I was not sober in that moment. And I became willing uh, to actually surrender and recognize that I wasn't sober. I shouldn't call myself sober. I did not have progressive victory over lust. And from that point, I really started to get surrender at a deeper level and um, have been, have maintained sobriety by this definition since that time. That That's what came up for me to share. So thank you. That's it. Thank you. Thanks for the question. Right. Yeah. Thank you, Susie. It is now quarter past the hour. Do you want, are you able to accommodate one more question or no? I, yes. Yes. I can stay a little longer. Okay. Arthur. This is Arthur. Yes, quick question, please. Uh, I have a question. Have you ever made a disclosure to your husband? And if so, how explicit were you? 
Okay. Hi, Arthur. Um, I think you must have missed that. I did address that uh, with Jamie. I think asked a similar question. So yes. the short yes. answer is I made a disclosure. I was not explicit at all, and just in general. And um, that was what my sponsors recommended. Yes, I all right. Thank you so very much for that, everyone. Thank you for your participation. And I'm going to turn off the recording, and, of course, this will be available. This is Raina, New Jersey, your host. And our speaker today was Susie in Idaho. Fantastic share, lots and lots of personal notes. So I really thank you for your service today. I would like to thank you for listening to this episode of The Daily Reprieve, the best source for experience, strength, and hope for SA members. Please subscribe to this podcast to be alerted of new episodes. Please show your support by donating to The Daily Reprieve by going to donate.thedailyreprieve.com and choosing either monthly donations or a one-time donation by clicking Donate Now. Thank you for listening and stay tuned for the next episode of The Daily Reprieve.